Amen. Well, welcome. It's great to see you. And uh, um, I actually asked Kristen to stay up here. Come on over here, Kristen. And uh, if you don't know Kristen Friend, this is Kristen. And they just had a big week, Kristen in Houston. And they're actually having a big month because actually a big nine months. And uh, uh, no pun intended for sure. Okay, I'm in trouble now. But uh, uh, they just celebrated on Friday, the, or Thursday, Wednesday, the adoption of Geo. And, you know, we're a church that just loves families that foster and adopt. And, and, and the friends, Kristen and Houston, have been so faithful as they've been fostering for the last number of years. And God has graciously given them this gift. And, you know, one of the things I say often is that adoption is one of the most Christ-like things that we can do because we're taking someone that was really in a difficult situation, and we are bringing them into our family. And Geo, uh, and that's what God does for us. He brings us into his family. It's an act of grace, and so we're so thankful for that. And so uh, I've, I've said many times that we're not all called to foster and adopt, but we're all called to help. And so whether it be in your small group, whether it be through the church, we're asking you to just come alongside those families. We have many that are adopting, that are fostering. So let me pray for Kristen in Houston, pray for Gio, and pray for their little boy who will be coming in June, Lord willing. And in the meantime, Kristen is up here worshiping with us. Father, thank you for this family, for Houston, for, for, uh, for Kristen, and just for this gift of Gio. What a beautiful picture of our being, our being adopted into Christ. And Lord, I pray this little boy will grow up to know you, to love you, to worship you, and to honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'd hug her, but I'm going for the social distancing right now, and we've known Houston and Kristen really since they were in college. Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, find your way to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue and actually finish up today in this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now, one of my great joys as a father was coaching my boys in football. And this was back when we were in Texas. And I don't know if you know this, and I've had arguments with with David. Uh, Football is a religion in Texas, and David thinks it's a better religion in Alabama. But the fact is, it's a big deal in Texas. In fact, we start They start football young there. Uh, Our boys started playing tackle football in second grade. Now, some people think they need to start earlier than that, but second grade was certainly young enough. But uh, with teaching kids to play football at that age, you have some challenges, certainly some opportunities. One of the great challenges we had was with dandelions. And you're thinking, dandelions? Yes, dandelions. Because second graders, doesn't matter how dressed up they are in their football bath, love to pick dandelions. And so they can get distracted very easily, and they like to take the dandelions once they get a little bit more mature, and you can see the seeds, and they like to blow them. So what we did is we had to come up with a solution to that, and we had dandelion drills, where what we would do as coaches is we would blow the whistle, and that was the only time they could go pick dandelions, and they would run as fast as they could, they would pick as many dandelions as they could, and then we would blow the whistle, and they'd come back, and they'd count, and then they were done being distracted. And so that was one of those challenges. So with football, it's very easy to be distracted. The other thing we had to teach these kids was the ready stance. Because if you're not in this, you know, crouched stance where your eyes are up and your, your knees are a little bit bent and you're putting your weight center, you're going to get knocked over. And one of the other things we had to teach them was about their uniforms. Uh, Pam would call them their outfits, and I had to teach her they're not 
outfits, their uniforms. Football players don't wear outfits unless they're going out on a Saturday night or something, but they're football players and they're wearing uniforms. But we had to teach them about the uniforms, how to put on their helmets, how to put on their pads, you know, how to, how to make sure they put their cleats on the right feet. And, and, and the key was we did this so that they, they were ready. They were ready for the game. Now, this is illustrious of the Christian walk. Because if we're not ready, if, if, if we're getting distracted, if, if we're not in a ready stance, if we're not wearing our right armor, we can get knocked over. And this passage reminds us of the importance of being prepared. In fact, in, Ephes- in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we've, we've learned all about who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And then chapter 4 through 6, verse 9, teaches us all about how we're now to live out our faith in Christ. And if you remember in, in verses chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through 6, 9, it talks about harmony in the, in the marriage, harmony in the home, and harmony in our community. And, and the fact is, right on the heels of that, we have this section on spiritual warfare. And it's so often it's in our home that Satan will attack us. It's in our business that Satan will attack us. It's, it's with our children. And so it's important for us to be prepared, for you to be prepared. Why? So you don't get distracted. So you're ready, so you don't get knocked over, and so that you're wearing the right armor. And the fact is, we see that Satan's desire is to destroy the harmony in the Christian's life. The fact is, we need to be ready for the battle. And here's the big idea that I wrote down. You can write this down if you're taking notes. When we walk in the Spirit, and remember, all we've been talking about these last weeks is, is walking in the Spirit. We better be prepared, because Satan, our enemy, would love to take us down. You've got to know that. When you commit to walk in the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 says, says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, be con- controlled by the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, you better be prepared, because Satan, who is your enemy, will try to take you down. So we're going we're gonna to look at a formula for victorious uh, living. Now, one of the things I'm going to do is we're going to do this section of Scripture in one verse. Many do it in four to six, excuse me, in one message. Many do this in four to six messages. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he preached 73 different messages on this passage of Scripture. Now, we're going to come back one day, and I'm going to do a whole series on spiritual warfare, but that's not for today. So let's look at your formula for victorious uh, living. First of all, know your strength. Know your strength. Look at verse 10. He says, finally, this is kind of it. This is my final words he's saying. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. That word strong, it's in the passive It's not something you do. It's not a strength you work up. He doesn't say, be strong. He doesn't say, be powerful. He doesn't say, you can do this. He's saying, your strength comes from your union with Christ. You've been endowed with this incredible strength. Now, let me just say this. This is a warning to those that are self-sufficient, that love to do things in their own strength 
who rely on their personal, intellectual, moral strength to navigate the Christian life. Listen, if that's you, you're very susceptible to getting knocked over. Now, when you read the book of Ephesians, you see the Lord's power all over this. In fact, if you look at, back at chapter 1, verse 18, it talks about how our hearts have been lightened. In verse, verse 18, he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? God has given us great power. Look, look at chapter 3. Verse 18 speaks about, says that may we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Down in verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according, here it is, to the power that is at work within us. God has given us great power. And here Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So often we want to be strong in our own, in our own power. In fact, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks about a thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I, I begged the Lord to take the thorn with, from me. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And notice what it says in verse 10. I'll put, it on the, I'll put it on the screen here. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And here it is. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. It's when we say, God, I can't. I need you. It's our dependence upon him that God is strong in us. Know your strength. You need it for the battle. Here's a second uh, step for victorious living. Know your struggle. Know your struggle. Now he says, our strength is in the Lord, but there's something we need to do. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That sounds pretty ominous. Because it is. The fact is, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, people of that day would have understood what he meant. This was during the height of the Roman Empire. There were Roman soldiers all throughout the ancient world. They would have seen soldiers walking around in their armor. So when Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, they would have understood exactly what that meant. And the fact is, they would put their armor on before they went into battle, because if they didn't, they were in trouble. I mean, this is talking about, this, is, this brings new meaning to dressing for success. Now, you, you think about dressing right. If you were to go to a wedding, you would dress a certain way. If you're going to go out hiking, you're going to dress a certain way. If you're going to have family pictures, you know, they might say, put on blue jeans, put on a white shirt, don't wear shoes. You're, you're, you're dressing a certain way. But Paul is saying, listen, we have a spiritual battle. and We need to dress properly. Why? So that you can stand. You can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
stand versus being knocked down. Notice what he says. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes, it's, it, it's the word uh, methodia. It's where we get the word methods. It's, it's, it's a word for craftiness or cunning, deception. Satan, the great deceiver, has a playbook to take you down. Now, here's something you need to understand. It doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter whether you're winsome or not. It doesn't matter whether you live in the United States or in a developing company, country. It doesn't matter your race, your sex, your pedigree. Satan has a scheme to take you down. He's got a playbook. Now, you're thinking, Satan, really? Listen, Satan is a real being, He's an angelic being that fell from grace. We see that in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, 12 through, uh, 12 through 15, where he was one of God's strong angels. And because of his pride, God cast him out of heaven plus one-third of the angels. And that's now his demonic forces. In fact, 70 different times in the Bible, you, you read the word Satan. Jesus talks about him. He is real. The Bible says that he's a deceiver. He's your adversary. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's an angel of light. He's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of this world. And he opposes God. And he perverts God's word. You see that going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When he says to Eve, did God really say? He perverts God's word. He's against God. He's against those that follow God. He's against us. The fact is, our battle is a struggle. Look at verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That word wrestle, in the NIV and the NAS, it's the word struggle. We have a struggle. In fact, that word against, it's used six different times in these two verses. Notice what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What are you saying? We have an adversary that is against us. It implies opposition, hostility. We have a struggle against. And he says, rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces. Now, some commentators see this as different ranks in Satan's army. Others see it as, God come, as Satan coming against various areas of our life. Either way, we better be ready. Because the battle is coming against you for Satan's entire demonic realm wants to come against you and every area of your life. Here's the problem. Because the battle is unseen, there's many people that think, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So they just don't even consider Satan as real. They just don't worry about it. That's a danger. That's, that's, that's like a football player that's just standing straight up and relaxing and gets smacked down. But then you've got others that... They see Satan behind every tree, and there should be a balance here. I would encourage you, read Job chapter 1, and you can get a, a little bit of a startling insight into demonic power. But the fact is, 
we know that there is a struggle. So for victorious living, we need to know our strength. It is in the Lord. We need to know our struggle. But third, we need to know our standing. Know your standing. Look at verse 13. Therefore, as a result of this battle that's coming, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Know your standing. The fact is, there's gear we need to put on every day to stand. And if we're not standing, we're getting knocked over. This is not a one foot in, one foot out thing. This is the full meal deal. For you to survive the battle, you need to be all in. You need to put on all your armor. Notice he says this, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Not just a couple pieces. You need to put it all on. It is only then that we can resist the schemes of the devil. Now notice four different times Paul says in this passage to stand or withstand. He's saying do all that you can to stand. He's telling us by the power of the Spirit, he wants us to stand. He wants us not to get knocked over. In a battle, you need to stand. And the implication is if we have our full armor on, you have God's strength to be able to stand. And now, this is something I want you to understand. Satan is a created being. God created him. This is what you also need to understand. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Meaning, the Holy Spirit who is in us, the Spirit of God who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The power of God in us is greater than Satan. But I also want you to see James chapter 4, verse 7. James says this, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's not a lost cause. We have the power in us. In fact, listen to what 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says. He says, be, be, he says, be sober-minded. Now, let me just step back real quick. Both in James and in 1 Peter, he has just talked about God resists the proud. He rewards the humble. So humble yourself before him, and he will exalt you in, in, in full time, in due time. And then he talks about Satan after each one. Here he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I mean, this is why we have to be ready. This is why we have to put on our full armor of God. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, standing firm, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is not a lost battle. It's a battle we win by the power of Christ. So Paul now describes each of the pieces of our armor. And I want to give you a picture of a, of a Roman soldier. Uh, some of you might look at that and you think, that looks like David Gannon. Um, but it's not, I promise you. But you can see he's got, he's got a belt. He's got a, he's got a breastplate. He's got a shield. He's got his shoes. He's got his sword. And he's got his helmet. So we're going to talk about each one of these because this is in the passage. Look, if you would, at verse 14. He says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So what he says is here are the different areas, here are the different uh, pieces of uniform you need to put on, the armor. First, we see the belt of truth. The belt was what secured the breastplate. It helped to distribute the weight around him. It was a place where he would tuck his sword. It gave him stability. And the fact is, to put on the belt of truth is to accept the truth of Scripture and to live it. The belt of truth. We know that Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We see in, in John 1, verses 1 through 3, that Jesus is the Word. He is God's logos. In fact, we're going to start that passage next. We're going to start the book of John next week. Satan is a liar. Jesus is the truth. Put on the belt of truth. Secondly, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why would a soldier wear a breastplate? It would protect his heart, which could be his thought life. It would protect his bowels, which would be his emotions. It symbolizes putting on the believer's righteousness that is given to him by Christ. Now, this is not a righteousness based on what we do. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, that we might receive the righteousness of God. See, the moment you, you turn from your sin and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we get the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to our lives. So now when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so every day we need to put on the righteousness of Christ. It's a reminder not to, to let Satan to cause you to doubt or to say, well, you just don't understand my past. I was talking to a friend last night about when I came to Christ at 40 years old and I had all these years of history behind me that wasn't pretty. But in the moment that I received Jesus Christ, all my sins were washed clean and had the perfect righteousness of Christ. And I looked at him, I said, same thing is true for you. I said, I never dreamed when I was your age that one day I would be a pastor. And I said, it would be like me saying, one day you're going to be a pastor. And he looked at me, he said, that would never happen. But the fact is, we don't know. See, when Christ washes us clean, we're like white as snow. Live each day to be like Christ. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then third, shoes for your feet. Look at verse 15. He says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Soldiers wore shoes. They wore sandals, but they had like these little knobs on them. And they would, they would give them stability. I mean, think football cleats. They just give you a little bit more strength. Listen, if we're going to stand, we need to have our feet firmly planted. And that's what Paul is saying here. And we need to rest in the gospel, the gospel of peace. We only get peace, true peace, through the gospel. In fact, uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are shoes that remind you how beautiful your feet are. Some of you might be looking down right now and thinking, my feet don't look that beautiful. But just listen how your feet can be beautiful. Romans chapter 10, verse 15 says this. 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Put on your shoes, the shoes for your feet. The fact is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors of Christ. I think that during this this shelter in place, we have so many opportunities just to meet neighbors as we're walking around or riding bikes to meet people and share the good news with them. Fourth, put on the shield of faith. We see that in verse 16. In all circumstances, and when he says all, what does he mean? All. All circumstance, every circumstance, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now these shields, they were, they were generally like four feet tall and two feet wide. And that would be their first line of defense. As, and in fact, what would happen is the soldiers would come together and they would, they would, they would interlock their shields. They would call it, it's, it's like turtling. And, and so they would be able to resist arrows and, and, and swords that would come against them. In fact, these shields were covered with leather and they would soak them in water and so that they would extinguish the fiery darts that, that, would, be, that would be sent to them. And the fact is Satan will, will, will uh, cast fiery, doubts of, uh, fiery darts of doubt and hate and unforgiveness and a desire for sin at us. And the fact is we must distinguish them through our faith. It is, it is, this is not a saving faith, but this is a living faith. It's every day walking by the faith that has been given to us. In fact, I think it is in Colossians 2.6. He says, therefore, as you've received Christ by faith, therefore walk in him, rooted, established, and built up. It's every day putting on that, that shield of faith. Fifth, the helmet of salvation. We see that in the first part of 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? Protects our heads, protects our eyes, protects our ears, protects how we think. Satan wants to attack the mind. He wants to tempt us with what we see, with what we hear, with what we think. And we have to protect ourselves by marinating in God's word. Satan wants to lead us astray. He does it through the culture. He does it through political correctness, through human traditions. Listen, he is going after our thinking. And he does it through the media, through social media. Let me me just talk about social media for a minute. There's so many good things about social media. Some of you are probably on this live stream because of social media. But social media can cause people to spiral down quickly. And here's, here's what I would encourage you. If you're following somebody on social media and they cause you to covet, to get angry, to get jealous, unfollow them. Get rid of that. You don't need that stinking thinking in your life. And and so often we see so many people that are depressed because they rely on how many people are following them or how many people like what they post. Listen, that's from the pit of hell. That is is Satan trying to take you down. So, so he does it by going after our thinking through media, through social media, through, through secular propaganda, through our schools. And I love the fact that we have a lot of families that homeschool, but I also love the fact that we have a lot of families that go to public schools. And here's the challenge. Parents, you need to be pouring more of God's truth into you so you can pour it into your children 
So it's more than what they're receiving from the world. This is an opportunity for us to teach our children to stand. But we have to be standing. And I am so appreciative of Christian teachers that are making a difference in the public schools. I'm so appreciative of Christian students that are making a difference in the schools. Because we don't want to pull out and create a vacuum. We want to step in and make a stand for Christ. Listen, there is a battle for the mind. The helmet protects you from Satan's lies. Six, we see the sword of the Spirit. This is not, this is the Word of God. He says here, uh, it is the Word of God. It's not just owning a sword. How many people own more than one Bible? It's not just owning it, but it's learning it. It's knowing it. It's living it. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's learning to use Scripture for life's different situations to fend off the attacks of the the enemy. In fact, we see that with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 where he was tempted in in the wilderness by Satan. And every time Satan tempted him, what did he do? He says, it is written. He took him back to Scripture. That's the way we protect ourselves. In fact, Colossians 2.8, I'll put it on the screen, says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The foundation of your life should be not based on human traditions, not on the culture, not on what people say, but what? The teachings of Christ the sword of the spirits all right take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to what withstand in the evil day so the formula for victorious living know your strength know your struggle know your standing fourth know your strategy know your strategy listen your strategy is a complete dependence upon God and the power of of the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in verse 18. He says, praying at all times. He continues this sentence, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. One of the most importance we have to stand is our ability to kneel. Let me say that again. Your ability to stand is dependent on how you kneel, on how you cry out to God. See, it is through our dependence on God that we have the strength to stand. Pray and keep on praying in the Spirit. Now, when you pray, here's the encouragement. Pray Scripture. Learn to pray Scripture. Because sometimes we can pray what we want. But when you fill your mind with the Word of God, then you start praying the Word of God. Open up a psalm and just pray it back to God. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you. God, give me the ability, like when I'm thirsty in a dry land, to to thirst after you. I want that, Lord. Pray Scripture. The amazing thing is, He says here, pray. He says, says, pray with all perseverance. Keep alert. Why would he say that? Well, he's probably thinking back 
to when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and, and he heard about Peter, James, and John falling asleep. Remember what Jesus says? Pray lest you fall into temptation. See, it's through prayer that we can resist temptation. That is part of the strategy. And what I love here about Paul is here he is. He's chained more than likely to a Roman soldier. He's in prison. Could potentially be, be uh, crucified or beheaded at any moment. And look at verse 19. He says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Don't you love Paul? I mean, here he is in this situation. It's life and death. And he's concerned about others. He's concerned about their, their eternal salvation. That, that's so much like Jesus. Jesus didn't care about his life. He laid his life down on the cross in concern for us that we would, we would have eternal life. God, let that be us. Notice what he says. and He says, that words would be given to me. Let me ask you. When was the last time you went into a conversation with your spouse or a conversation with a coworker, or a conversation with a cranky neighbor and you just prayed for words to be given to you? Can you imagine if we would pray before we speak how God would use that, how God would change our marriages, how God would change our relationships? I'll never forget back in Dallas when I was on, on the building committee at Prestonwood, one of the great churches in America, and we had made a, a major change and in, in, the, in the building. I remember that we were going around the room, and there was one man. His name was Louis Prince. He'd been there for many years, and he was asked by our pastor, so, Louis, what do you think? And he just sat back, and he says, I'm having a little prayer meeting with myself right now. And I was so struck by that because here he is. He's not going to speak before he prays. God, what would you have me to say? And that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, he's saying, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, but in this, bold, to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Second uh, Corinthians 5.20 reminds us that we are ambassadors for Christ. Didn't matter where, where Paul was. He was always on mission. I pray that that would describe each one of us. That we would be on mission in the midst of this mess. Every day, on mission, every day, Lord, give me a divine appointment. Who can I boldly proclaim the gospel to? Who needs eternal life? Because I know that apart from Jesus Christ, they are dead in their sins. Lord, give me a heart for these people. Listen, know your strength, know your struggle, know your standing, know your strategy, and finally, know your salvation. Know your salvation. Paul comes to his closing comments. Look at verse 21. So that you also may know how I am doing. Remember, he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Once again, Paul not concerned with his own life. He wants to encourage others. 
And once again, I believe that in this season that we're in, how can we encourage others? Who can I pick up the phone and call? Who can I make cookies for? Now, you don't want me making cookies for anybody. That'd be a mess. But, but who can I serve? Who can I help? Parents, I would tell you, teach your children not to be focused on themselves, but by your leading them, go serve. You may have to keep your social distancing, but serve. Be concerned about others. And then we see in verse 23 and 24, these three high watermark words of the gospel. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul leaves the Ephesians with these incredible words. These words of faith. These words of salvation. In fact, I'm going to show you these words, peace, love, and grace. I'm going to show you each one of these words, and each one of them is coupled with faith. Look at the first one. I'll put it up on the screen. Romans 5.1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want real peace, true peace, it is only through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes or whoever has faith in him should not perish but have eternal life. Love. True love, agape love, comes through believing Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you want the peace of Christ, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you. Has there been a time that you've turned from your sins and turned to Jesus as your only hope for eternal life? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will experience true peace. You will experience unconditional love. And you will have received grace that only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking that Paul, as he's finishing this letter, he's got a smile on his face. In fact, he may be thinking back to chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. And he wanted those that were listening to this letter to know the same thing. This is my encouragement for you today. Do you know who you are and whose you are? Because if you are in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul knew. He knew his strength. He knew his struggle. He knew his standing. He he knew his strategy and he knew his salvation. He was strong in the Lord. And he rested in God's incredible goodness. And he wants that for you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as we close out this service. We're going to take a moment now just to worship. This is the time, I just believe this is one of the most important times during our service, where we respond to the Lord, we respond to what we heard through worship. So as we get ready to sing through these songs, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your voices and sing to the Lord. I know there's others in your room that 
your family members, and you may not sing that great, but that's okay. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible letter that we've been able to, to read and to meditate on. But Lord, we also, more importantly, thank you for the grace that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord, that they would surrender their life as you call them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Father, help us just to reflect and to express our thankfulness for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.